Welcome to Let It Be Easy with Susie Moore. I discovered Denise Duffield Thomas, I believe maybe six, seven, could be even longer, six or seven years ago or more when I discovered her first book, Lucky Bitch, and then her second book, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. <laughs> she is the go-to for sure when it comes to unding, understanding our relationship with money, understanding what a money block is, and hey, we all have them no matter our life stage. And truly diving into Denise's programs, her books, has given me so much clarity when it comes to how I understand money, how I interpret what money means to me, what I think about, feel, connect to, allow in when it comes to real money and abundance. And Denise has got a new book out, which is a bit of a redo of her most recent book, Chillpreneur. Her new book is called Chill and Prosper. And Denise is full of great advice. She's very practical. She's real. She gives you real life situations, real life scripts, real life tips that you can use and apply now to create new rules around success, freedom, and abundance on your terms. She is a lazy, self-described lazy self-made multimillionaire and unbusy mother of three children. Denise's best-selling books give a fresh and funny roadmap to creating an outrageously successful life and business. Denise is for sure my money mindset mentor and I just, I know you're going to love this interview because there are so many takeaways, lots of laughs and lots of actionable pieces of advice that you can take away and implement right now. So I now give you Denise Duffield Thomas. Denise Duffield Thomas. Hello, Susie, my friend. Hi. I am so happy to have you today. Heath and I this morning said, we were like, huh, there's probably no better guest to have on the Let It Be Easy podcast than you. (laughs) But as we were both saying just before we hit record, when you release a book Mm. and your book let it be easy my book chill and prosper and then you actually have to do a bit of hustle (laughs) (laughs) it's it's hilarious isn't it where you're just like oh I'm working a little bit more than I would like at the moment (laughs) and but you know what like books I think are the most worthwhile thing like truly I mean Denise I just as you know I discovered your books years ago I bought them for my friends you've educated me so much on money blocks I never would have known about so much that I've now internalized um thanks to you so I'll always give you huge credit and money blocks is something that's thrown around a lot in my marriage in my business I'm so conscious of them so for anyone who is new to you, I know we're going to be speaking about your fab new book, Chill and Prosper, out now, friends, wherever books are sold. Um, can you just explain to us, first of all, what a money block is? Oh, yes, absolutely. So it's one of those things that um, even if you don't even really understand what it is or know what it is, you've felt it before. So it's that feeling that you get when you want to increase your prices or that fear that you get when you have to send out invoices or just that unexplainable but very real glass ceiling when you hit an income plateau and you think, well, this is the most I'm ever going to be able to earn. And so really what money blocks are are our stories and beliefs about money. And 
my job is to help people excavate where those blocks have come from to kind of loosen them up and allow us and give ourselves permission to make money. And um, sometimes people will say things like, I'll help you clear your money blocks. And the truth is I can't because they'll always be with us in some way, but it doesn't mean we can't make money. I like to come at it from a place of curiosity to say, well, let's just have awareness around our patterns and let's talk honestly and openly about money like we do anything in our lives and just normalize this conversation about money because we need money in the hands of more women, of more queer people, of more non-binary people, of people who care about the planet, you know, and we can't be scared of that power of money anymore. Mm. And when it comes to money blocks, as you said, we all have them. And sometimes you think, gosh, now I've, I've reached an income level. Maybe I've gotten rid of my money blocks. Right right before we hit record, I, I shared that even having hair extensions, which is something that's so fun for me, was a money block for a long time, even though I've been able to afford them for a long time. Even just spending money too can make us feel uncomfortable. Could you speak to that as well? Because I think sometimes we have weird attachments to you know, what's reasonable to spend money on and what isn't reasonable to spend money on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, And I talk about creating a first-class life. Mm -hmm. And I think some people, when they hear that, they have a very particular view in their mind of what that could mean. Mm -hmm. And it could be the stereotypical version of of wealth, of money. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it's so personal to each and every one of us is what would feel first-class for us. But Mm -hmm. sometimes that goes against the grain of what we've been taught is okay to spend money on Mm -hmm. or um you know even just it clashes with our own self-identity sometimes or our fears so I'll give you an an example around that is that um what you said about your hair right Mm -hmm. so if if we think we've got an overall um upper limit around what we're allowed to earn sometimes we have our own upper limits around how much pleasure or ease we're allowed to have in our life. or um, And it could be in a really particular way because you might just have this, I don't know, this thought that was put into your brain that it's vain to do things like that or you've got to use what you've got or or this is something that's come up a lot for a lot of people, this concept of cheating, mm. that it's cheating to find shortcuts. It's cheating to find hacks. You have to be grateful for what you've got mm-hmm. you know and that could come up in things like oh I'm not allowed to get hair extensions because that's cheating mm. or to I'm not allowed to buy a system or a software for my business because that's cheating I'm not allowed to hire people in my business I'm not allowed to do Facebook ads because that's cheating mm. um, I'm not allowed to pay for you know a PR placement that could actually be really useful because that's cheating and so we've got to it's so many entanglements here, right? Around anything. But I find that anything you could look at anything in your life and see what's symbolic about it. And I would love to hear what what does that bring up for you, Susie, about your hair? Like what does that bring up for you about even your childhood, what your family would have said about what's acceptable to spend money on and what's not? Mm, oh, thank you, Denise. Um, I grew up with a mother who who very consciously and very happily makes no effort around her looks. 
right? So always secondhand clothes, always donation, like we had no money growing up. So that was also just necessary. But um, anything like this, anything like hair extensions or anything physical would be considered deeply superficial, like superficial and not for people who are intelligent. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So that's hard, right? Because uh-huh. it goes against your unofficial family motto mm-hmm. of yes. like, we're frugal and we're, we make do. And we're practical. And mm-hmm. We're practical and we're, um, we're above that or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what actually it brought up for me is that I grew up with a mum who was effortlessly beautiful. Mm. And like literally from a young age, people would be like, that's your mum. Um, because I've she met had your me mom. Uh-huh. Oh, you have met her mom. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. When was that? When we went to, when we came went to a conference, right? The book mm-hmm. tour. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you would have met her in her like fifties, right? And she's still fucking hot. Yes. Heck. Mm-hmm. And so when I started then making money and then I was like, oh, I think I want to do this. It was almost like, um, that I couldn't do that either. Because then it's like, no, 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 like mum's just naturally gorgeous. She doesn't need to do that. Um, and so it felt like kind of cheating again, of you know, and um because she's had pretty privilege her whole life. So she doesn't understand that some people have to work for it a little bit. Mm. So it's interesting, both of you, we've had completely kind of different situations, but we've come, we're at the same place with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My favorite. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. My favorite uh, money block that you that you talk about often, it's such a big part of your work. And I'm a, like, truly, I'm obsessed with this. And this is why we set up the business that, you know, the way that we have around ease is you've said that, you know, the biggest block that you come across, I, I this is probably still true from our last interview years ago, is that it has to be hard to make money. There has to be sweat, struggle, suffering. And also, I mean, I just love your cards as well, your motto cards, you know, uh, where you say, you know, it's safe for me to make money doing something that's easy. It's safe for me to be a rich, powerful woman. I mean, these statements, Janice, how long have I got you today? Seriously? Like we can oh, go yeah. <laughs> I've got another interview in an hour and 15 oh. minutes. So we're good. Um, no, you are, you are right. It, I think this work hard for money block is, it really is the one that we have to work on all of the time. Mm. And I find it's a little bit different for you know, people in their twenties, because they grew up watching kids, you know, play on YouTube and make money and, Mm -hmm. and their concept of work is different because they've always grown up with the internet. And I was talking to Jeff Walker yesterday, Mm -hmm. who of course, you know, very well. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of reminiscing. I mean, he's older than me, but we kind of started businesses at fairly similar times. You know, he started his um, later in life and I did my first e-product when I was like 22 mm-hmm. and we were just talking about how hard the technology was mm-hmm. you know and he was like I had to get people to mail me a check and I was like uh, you know I couldn't even sell an ebook by myself I had to go through like a company because pdfs were too big mm-hmm. you know and so we were kind of laughing about how we're like when we were your, when we started our businesses, we had to walk in the snow. And now you youngins, you can just do drop and drag and you can have payment systems. Mm-hmm. And we were laughing about it. But the thing is for people who were, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, is we didn't grow up 
in a world where you could even conceive of having ease in your career. You couldn't work from home. You couldn't, um, you know, create something from your imagination and sell it to someone in a different town to you. It was just so difficult. And not only that, I mean, you and I think, I mean, everyone we know is an entrepreneur, pretty much all of our friends. Yeah. But for most people, they are the lone wolf in a sea of people who are still working those kind of jobs where it's hour for dollar. And so it's so weird. And it's almost like it's just doesn't, the math doesn't math to our brains to go, hang on, I can create something once and then I can get paid for it over and over again. It feels like cheating. Mm -hmm. And you have to wrap your brain around that, that each one of those transactions is a complete loop. It's giving and receiving just because it's not your you know, personal energy each time, it still is a piece of your energy, a piece of your value. But it, I think it takes some time to wrap our heads around that mm-hmm. it can be easier. And then you have to unravel your own family stuff around, um, you know, you might have been called lazy as a kid for trying, you know, shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Um, or your family, um, you know, has, as again, has this unofficial motto. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if we were all fancy kings and queens, our motto would be on our wall, you know, but most of the time it's so unspoken. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Joneses never ask for help and the Millers work hard, um, you know, and it's it's hard to go against the grain of that. And so one of the things that's so important is to surround yourself with other entrepreneurs, other people who are talking about this, listen to podcasts, because you have to normalize it for yourself first before you can even conceive of, of, you know, doing Mm. it more and more. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't, our jobs didn't exist. Mm. I I was actually talking to someone, um, you know, when I first moved to London in my 20s, I had to save up to buy a calling card Mm-hmm. to call my mom and it was like a pound a minute mm-hmm. to speak to my mom and I think we just take it for granted that we can just I mean we're we're on zoom mm-hmm. talking in completely different countries and it's essentially free like mm-hmm. it's just if you didn't grow up seeing those possibilities which hardly any of us did mm-hmm. how are we supposed to believe that it's real mm. I agree and I remember you know reading from you this always makes me laugh. <laughs> you said, you know, when you first started creating products that people could buy that didn't require your time, which of course I'm obsessed with, you were like, oh, maybe I should just stand in front of you and read you my book. <laughs> if you want to buy it, I yeah. come to your house and read it page to page. Or if well, I felt like I had to call them over the phone, do it over the phone. Because <laughs> it was 10, because they paid me $10. And I was like, but I, I already wrote it. the book. <laughs> I wrote it already. How can I still get paid for it? And you tell yeah. a story too about when I think you were presenting on stage and you made an offer and then you started saying, oh, and you also get this. Oh, and um, and also, you know, I'll come and feed your cat or something. <laughs> Obviously you didn't yeah. say that, but you know, I, I see this overgiving, overgiving, over, I can see myself. I have to be conscious because I can be like, wow, it's a lot of money for this. You know, um, what, you know, do, do I need to just jam it full? And it's like, no. Right. I mean, Denise too, a friend of mine, she charges $50,000 a speech. Is how she makes her income. And she does a minimum of four speeches a month. And sometimes she's like, wow, you know, I, it feels like it's too much, but I'm like, no, think about everything you had to go through in your life to make you a 
a, a speech giver worthy of that. It's not one hour. It's your entire life, everything you suffer. Like there's so like there's so much that she had to experience for the audience to get the gift of her presence and her story, like directly. That's from amazing. Her. That's yeah, so, so inspiring. Isn't it? But, but you know, people are like, what, what, 50K for one hour? Like as if it's by the second, you can imagine a meter running. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you, I mean, I, cause I see this too, you know, when I work with business owners, they're like, well, you know, I'll also give them this and this and that, like, can we speak about overgiving in a second? Because one thing I love about you, Denise is it's real practical advice in your book, chill and prosper. You speak about refunds. You speak about open rate. You speak about like, we get to the nitty gritty of stuff. So can we speak about overgiving for a moment? Cause I well, think it's so common. First of all, I do it too. Mm-hmm. I do it too. And so it's so normal because, again, we really look at that value and go, but is it enough? And am I enough? And is the transformation enough? And actually, even for this book, which is hilarious, um, my publisher were like, well, you know, what um, what bonuses are you going to do this time? And I did so many things. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I'm like, I'm going to do a live book club and then I'm going to give away free coaching sessions. With it. And I was like, I don't even do coaching. What was I thinking? <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it's just that feeling that we have of it's not it's not enough as it is. And it's so hard to to, to come back from that. So often what I do is I do a matrix of mm-hmm. um of bonuses and I kind of go, what's easy for me to create but high value for someone else? Mm-hmm. Um and that's you know, then you can kind of look at it and go, what would make sense? And also what would make sense to take out and put into an ascension model for people to incentivize to do the next step with me? Mm-hmm. But um, I do think it just still comes back to that money block of, you know, I'm not enough. Um, I, you know, I have to, it's better to give than receive mm-hmm. and feeling like it's um, out of balance to get paid for something that you've already created. Mm-hmm. Yes. And do you find that when it comes to creating boundaries, there are the same kind of rules that apply that you kind of keep coming back to in your work? Like, is there a golden boundary rule that you, that you honor the most? Yes. When I'm feeling resentful. Mm, We all know that feeling. (sighs) Yeah. When I'm feeling resentful, but actually it's interesting you brought up speaking because I want to speak to this feeling of, um, again, clearing money blocks, right? Because they're so sneaky. They will always find a little backdoor channel and you might nail it in one area and then you'll have to learn it in another area. And so for me, um, charging for coaching was my first kind of money block thing of going, you know, an hour of my time, you know, an hour of my time, as you said, Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of got over that. And then my next one was charging for group coaching because I thought, well, it's not the same as one-on-one. It doesn't count if it's group. And then I was fine with that. And then I remember um, people were starting to ask me to speak at their events. And I was like, I can't charge for, sp- like, I don't even prepare. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not even, I don't even like speaking. So I can't charge for it. And then I was like, I just turn up and just download stuff from the universe and just talk. I can't charge for that. I didn't even prepare slides. And, um, but I felt that resentment because I started, um, it was easy to say no to corporations and things like that, but then people I knew were asking me to speak. And so I was like, I'll just speak at her event. She's my friend or, you know, a friend of a friend. But I remember leaving one of those events and I felt so sick and I got in the cab and I like, I just, my whole body hurt. And I realized that when, when things energetically aren't win-win, it has to come from somewhere. 
you know, and so I was feeling that deficit in my body. My life force energy had to make up that imbalance. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I needed to to charge well for speaking. And I'm not at the $50,000 level, oh my Mm -hmm. God. But I was like, I sat with it and just went, okay, you know, $8,000 feels like a good speaking amount for me. And it was just even still then to go, oh my God, can I, am I allowed to charge for this? And I was actually so funny when we're talking about this, because I was actually thinking about it this morning of going so many, I, I, when people ask me to speak at their conference, I think, oh God, I know what it's like to do a conference, you know, when it's your first couple of times and you're trying to sell tickets and then you've got this massive, big, you know, expense for a speaker. Like I'm such a bitch for not wanting to, to support women, you know, and, and, that's the conversation sometimes that goes in our head. Mm-hmm. But then, you know what's so fascinating? I realized I had a money block around earning money from writing books. Oh, tell us about that. Yeah, I only realized this maybe about um, two years ago mm-hmm. because I realized people would say, oh, you know, you're an author. That's so great. And I'd go, oh, no, I'm not really, I'm not really a writer. Uh I'd just be like, oh, no, um, like I kind of fluked my way into, you know, getting my books published with Hay House and mm. um, and, then I, and then I would sort of go, oh, and books are just like, you know, I don't make my money from books, I make my money from my course. And I was just, I heard myself saying it, you know, when you just go, oh, I've said this so many times. So I started to um, do the affirmation and the mirror work, which I talk about in the book of, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, this is what a wealthy woman looks like. This is what a wealthy woman looks like. But what's really powerful is when you can customize it for your situation. Mm -hmm. And so if you can say, you know, this is what a wealthy single mom looks like, or this is what a wealthy whatever looks like. And so I started saying, this is what a wealthy writer looks like, because I knew I needed to do some work around my ability to receive you know money from writing in it in and of itself and my royalties for the next rate um the next year pretty much doubled and it was fascinating to see again your money blocks will will find your path of least resistance sometimes and it might turn up again when you have a new offering or um you know where people's boundaries are starting to come in and you you know you're going well I won't charge for that I'll just do you know that's fine. I'll just do that thing. Or you're going into a new phase of business or you're starting a new business. Um, and, you know, I'm doing that work all the time, even though I make tons of money. And so that's why I call it excavation work because each layer has been created over time mm-hmm. so subtly and it feels so real and dense. And so when you just excavate a little bit, you don't need to go to the bottom and clear these money blocks to make money because you find these little golden nuggets all over the place. And then you can go, oh, yay, I can do something with that. And you get that little reward of going, oh, okay, cool. Now I can make money from writing. But then you still have to go excavate stuff. So some people think, oh, I'll just clear my money blocks and then I'll, you know, do stuff in business. It's like, no, it's an yeah, ongoing. On, yeah. On Tuesday, clear money blocks, done. Wednesday, we get that, right? It's like, it's not quite like that. I mean, I even in in my corporate job, when it came to, you know, negotiation and asking for additional stock units, all those things that that are required in a, you know, in in a a, a typical corporate career, I remember going like, oh, well, but other people have more experience and oh, well, yeah, but maybe in the future. Oh yeah. But I don't know. And always I'd go, well, you know, what, what are my results? And 
am I delivering here? Am I really, that's, isn't, do you always come back to that as the measurement? I mean, if people are working with you, they, they love it, they want to continue doing it. Isn't that enough? Because you speak, and again, such practical advice in this book, Chill and Prosperous. I mean, I, this is what I've loved about you for so long, Denise. You really give us the goods, the numbers, not like a vague, you know, um, just charge more, right? You speak a lot about, you know, what yeah. to look for and how to do it. Can we speak about kind of, charging more for your worth however that shows up yes well I mean like you when I was in the corporate world I never ever negotiated salary mm-hmm. and I think I had a lot of good girl syndrome there of going well if I work really hard and do a good job then I'll I'll be rewarded eventually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. (laughs) It literally does not work that way. I actually think though, if I went into the corporate world now, I would totally nail it because so much of that is just doing your own PR in companies. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to charging, this is the tricky advice, right? Because people go, charge what you're worth and, um, you know, charge Mm -hmm. premium prices. It, it's so individual and it's so energetic. Mm-hmm. And this is the hard thing because you have to come up with your prices and you have to look for those little resentments of feeling like, okay, this isn't win-win anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not charging what you're worth as a human being. It's charging, it's not even charging your value really because we know that pricing is perception, Mm-hmm. You know, pricing is marketing. Pricing is who your ideal client is. And you can give the exact same results as someone else, but your target audience might require a different energetic pricing structure. It's just, mm-hmm. and, and that's the tricky thing. We all think that um, someone else has like done a formula and mm-hmm. come up with this number. And, and then no one has. Everyone's just pulled the number out of their butt. Really? <laughs> Thank they you. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can't um, you can't crowdsource your pricing. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many people do this in business forums. They go, "Hey guys, this is what I've got. You know, I've got X many modules and this many PDFs and this and this is what people get. Um, what should I charge for it?" And it's like, well, first of all, are they your even are they your target audience? Are they in the market? That's important too because, I mean. God, I've paid for services. You know, if someone had asked me what would you pay for it, I wouldn't have a clue until you need it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so that's the tricky thing is you can't crowdsource. You can't also look at what everyone else is charging and average it out because mm-hmm. you don't know what money blocks went into that decision, and you also don't know how well people are doing. Too. No, like people exactly. can present something and. Off. sometimes you know them or you kind of know the behind the scenes a little and you're like ah okay it's just good to have this information it has to be your own path it absolutely has to and I find that sometimes some industries or some communities almost have like a gatekeeper who sets the pricing and um and for an example I was getting um ukulele lessons at the start of the pandemic I love that I know it was terrible by the way um <laughs> It led to me getting an ADHD diagnosis because I literally could not remember week to week. Mm. And there's there's not even that many chords playing the ukulele. And I'd be each week I'd be like, can you show me A again? I literally can't remember. But anyway, um, I said to him after we'd been working together for a couple of months and I still couldn't do anything, mm. I said to him, oh, can I, I never do this, but your prices are so low. 
you know, I was like, I really think you could charge, you know, a bit more for you for, and he goes, well, you know, there's a guy in town who taught all of us, you know, how to be teachers. He was our teacher and he kind of sets the prices and he told us, you know, what to charge. And I said to him, yeah, that's cool. But he might've been charging those prices for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, and he might've paid off his mortgage and he might be doing this just kind of for fun and, you know, as a hobby now, yes, it's his, you know, business, but we don't know sometimes what goes into other people's decisions around pricing. And so now he's got all of these young people sort of saying to him, well, you can't charge more than me and you have to charge this rate. And it was so undervalued. Mm. And that just perpetuates and spreads throughout industries sometimes. And in that example, the ukulele teacher, the so the grandfather of the ukulele teaching, let's say, I'm sure he didn't even say, don't go above my price, right? There's no, it, it's like a lot totally. that we assume. We're like, well, if X person who's achieved more than me or who maybe is, has been around 10 years. I mean, I actually have a friend, um, Denise, who changed her mastermind pricing completely because she realized someone in her mastermind who's pretty new to the space is charging way more than her. Like it's so- Wow, it, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, wow, well, I'm, oh. I'm not new. No, exactly. And sometimes that can be really inspiring. I actually had um, yesterday, I had um, two um, girls come to do a whole day of um, recording reels Mm, with me. Oh, cool. And yeah, and I I don't know how old they are, but say they're in their 20s, I I don't know. (laughs) But, um, and they're, you know, charging a really good day rate. And I think, well, there is no longevity in that industry to compare to. Mm. And because, you know, reels and TikTok, it's only been around for such a short period of time. But what was fascinating is, you know, I could do some stuff myself, but the fact that they were like, you know, doing all those really fun transitions. So they were like, throw that shirt on that dot. And then the next one, okay, now stand on that dot and like pop up. But then what was crazy about it was then, then they were showing me on the phone, they were just like, okay, that's what it looks like. They didn't go away for three weeks and edit it and come back. They were just like, here you go. And I just went, that's freaking amazing. And so imagine them going, oh, I can't charge more than someone who's been a social media manager for 20 years. No, they're completely in their own zone of genius for something that's brand new. And I've been in business heaps longer than them, but they can charge whatever they like for that service because it's new and they're making it their own and they're experts in something that's new that I can't do myself. Ama- amazing. I love it. I love these girls already. Like charge a great rate. But the thing is, oh, I'll tell it's the socialista. Her name is. The socialista. But it was just fabulous. And I was talking to someone, you know, I was saying, oh, this is what I was doing today. And, and you know, this is what they charge. And she was like, good for them. And I went, I know, right? Because they were freaking amazing at what they did. And, and it's a brand new industry. Mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. you know I I completely agree and the, the truth is like Denise like you get the result like if it takes three weeks to go away and go and edit fine right that's kind of none of your business you're the receiving customer but if someone does it and they're one and done in a day here you go here are all your reels like wow like amazing <laughs> but but your result is all that matters right this is what I always come back to I'm like if you can create if you can give what it is that you promise like then the pricing really you know, it, it's it's intuitive, really, based on you know what feels right for you, without that resentment kicking in. But that that's all that's our job to create results. 
to create results and to give value to people. Um, And what was really cool too, there was two of them, whereas I've worked with people recently who refuse to get help Mm. and they're at their limit and it's creating chaos for for their customers Mm. um, because Mm. they're still trying to be a one-man band. And, you know, I think your prices are adjustable at any time and that's so different, you know, back in the corporate world where we could probably only talk about our salary once a year mm-hmm. um you can change your pricing every single client if you feel like you've got it wrong and so that's what the the beauty of this is that, that there is no wrong because you only have to do it one time and then you go wow I've got that resentment still it's not it's either you know the what I'm offering is not the right but it's usually the price and so you can literally change it every client and I know people don't believe me on that but you can mm-hmm. but there's a cool thing that you can do though is don't just increase your prices and let it go. This is a huge marketing opportunity to let people know my prices are going up because you never know who's been there watching your newsletters, you know, waiting to save up to work with you, scared to press that buy now button. And sometimes to say, hey, look, you can still get in at this price, but only for a certain amount of time. It brings all these people out of the woodwork who are like, oh, no, no, I really want to work with you. Mm. Um, And so don't just let it go by. Um, Give people an opportunity to jump in. I even did that when I was doing one-to-one coaching. I would say, look, you know, my price is going up, but you can lock this in for six months if you want to, the current price. Mm -hmm. So it made it worthwhile. It wasn't just a one off session that they could buy it was like cool Mm -hmm. you know you can do this but it's you have to you have to commit Mm -hmm. um so there's so many pricing strategies around that but the truth is it's all made up it's Mm -hmm. all perception it's all whatever you want it to be Mm -hmm. and you have to do that inner work Mm -hmm. and it's not a one and done (laughs) opportunity you can't get it wrong you speak often too about what perfectionism costs you and I see this so much and you know, a lot of women who, you know, follow me, they have a dream of starting something, but they always say like, they'll never be quite ready because there's of course a time in the future where there is a ready point (laughs) or where where there's like a qualification or something, you know, that's required to get there. Um, Could you speak to us a bit about perfectionism and like, because I think some people, sometimes we don't even know, we wouldn't even define it as that, but there has to be a set situation in place that's in the future, um, but isn't here yet before you can really get going. Yeah. Oh God, I've never been ready. I'm still not ready. How about you? <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> no. I think the hard thing about being a perfectionist too is that nothing's ever perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never. And and that can be really hard because, you know, it's, yeah, it's really hard to be in that waiting. Um, but it's also sometimes you just have to let things go. You know, it's actually funny, even with the, the book, um, you know, there's a there's a mistake on my um, bio. You know, I'd, I'd asked to say, you know, she helps women release their food money. You know, I'd said, let's put just entrepreneurs because it's not just about women. And there's women on there, you know, and that's annoying to go, ah, but it's out, mm-hmm. you know, and it can help people. And so I think sometimes we think it has to be perfect for it to help people. My first book, Mm. called lucky bitch Mm -hmm. that I self-published in 2011 Mm -hmm. um it had typos it did you know the cover wasn't super cute Mm -hmm. but I call this my beach house the house that lucky bitch built Mm. not because it sold millions of copies but because it was the seed of faith 
that I had something to offer people. And people would send me messages and say, oh my God, this book is so great. And I'd be like, but I wrote it half in US English and half in UK English. Mm -hmm. How could you you like that? Uh (laughs) I'm familiar with that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, and it has typos in it and the cover isn't the best. And, but then I did a new version the next year and then the next year and then the next year. So that's had like four different versions. My money boot camp has had five different versions. And I remember um, my beautiful friend, Victoria Gibson, Mm. I've told this story so many times and she's just so funny, but we hired a video guy to come and help us because we both wanted to video our courses. Mm -hmm. You know, this is back in um, 2012, maybe. And um, we were in Fort Lauderdale because we were at a conference together and we hired this hotel room, but we got really, really drunk the night before, <laughs> super drunk to celebrate my birthday. And so when the video guy knocked on the door the next morning, like it was one of those moments and I don't drink a lot, but like it was one of those moments where, you know, when you're in the shower and you're holding the wall oh, no. and shaking <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> and so we said to this video, we'd hide him for two days. And um, I said, oh, we just cannot do this today. So we sat and chatted with him about what we wanted and all that kind of stuff. And then we did one day filming the next day. And I kind of just sucked it up and nailed it. Um, and Victoria had a massive meltdown. She won't mind me talking about this because mm-hmm. her perfectionism got in the way so much. And she is so good in on camera. She is like, she can nail things like, like unbelievably, but something came up for her around this perfectionism and, um, and she had this massive meltdown on this day. And I was like, Oh my God, baby, you're okay. But I remember thinking like in, I, that wasn't perfect for me either. The course was not perfect, but I was like, it's good enough for now. It's good enough now. And it will help people. I've had eight and a half thousand people through that program. And I can't even remember what Victoria was filming on that. She's gone on, you know, done so many other things, Mm. but I know there are so many people who quit at that first hurdle because it's not perfect. Mm. I've seen people quit businesses. I've seen people never even try again Mm -hmm. because of something like that. Mm. And, um, and I'm re-recording bootcamp in like literally in two weeks and there's part of me like looking at the scripts going it's still not perfect you know this is like the sixth time doing it mm-hmm. and I just part of me is like but I know it's going to help people so just even if all you do is re-record the same thing mm-hmm. it will help somebody and I look back at those videos um even the first version that I did just by myself the words are like 99% the same mm-hmm. the background's a bit sexier Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more confident because I've helped more people, but it's still not perfect and it's frustrating. But will, can you help people in the meantime? Mm. And that's where we remove the ego, right? It's like, because it's yeah. all about you and you being perfect and there being like no candle out of place in the background or like whatever it may be that we attach to. But it's like, will this, like I, something similar happened to me, Denise, when I self-published my first book, What If It Does Work Out? I had a couple of scathing emails from people highlighting all of my mistakes. And there were a few. I did it in a hurry because I knew Forbes were going to give me an interview and I wanted the book for sale at that stage. I didn't want to have an interview without a book. And so I hired an editor. We did a rush job uh, and I had spelling mistakes. I misquoted a book. I I, I said the wrong title. Um, I spelled the word principle using the other version of principle, et cetera, a few times. And um, so I got my scathing emails, which is fine by me. 
But I also had my love letters, right? And again, you want to be kind of neutral with it all. But people saying, I got started. You know, I had this one woman say to me, you know, I was discharged from the military. I didn't know what to do. Reading about how you got started with no formal qualifications and you just like went for it and were willing to be uncomfortable. Um, I've, I'm doing something now. I'm helping my church with something and they're paying me. And I'm like, that's all that matters. Like, that's the result, right? That's, but how many times do people read the hate stuff or the bad stuff? And that almost counts 10 times more I for them. Know. Yeah. And you say that you don't love the other way either side, right? You're not like love, love, no. love, huge praise. You're like, no, thanks. Um, and if someone's like, I hate you. You're the worst thing ever. You're like, yep, yeah, no, thanks. You. How do you stay neutral with it all in a world where it's so easy to get sucked in? Well, one, I don't go looking for it Mm -hmm. because I've seen people Google themselves and go Mm -hmm. into a spiral of, Mm -hmm. you know, then they see things, you know, where people have bitched about them and it's horrible. Um, I reckon once a year when I'm feeling really down, I'll go look at one star reviews on Amazon just to like Mm -hmm. punish myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, but then I laugh because they're so funny. Um, One was, um, you know, she really should put for men, for women on the cover. If you know, all the examples are going to be for women. And I just thought that's so, I can't even get mad about that because I just think, well, how many books have you read, Susie? How many books have I read that have only male examples? And we've still gotten something out of oh, them. Yeah. And men don't have to put four men on the, go- <laughs> on the cover. So I just laughed at that. I just went, oh, that's hilarious. You know, I get people, oh, I don't like that she swears in the books. And, I get you know, that too. Like, I'll go, yeah, and I just go, that's fine. Like, I... I kind of just go, yeah, that's cool. Like not everyone has to like everything. The one that I got last week, which I just, I almost just pissed myself laughing over. (laughs) Um, Someone said your profile picture looks like a reject from the Bachelor Australia. (laughs) And I just laughed. Honestly, I could not stop laughing (laughs) because I just, I I just went, I know you're trolling me and you're being horrible, but I just, that just made my day. I'm going to laugh about that for days. Thank you. Um, so yeah, the truth is I don't, um, but I don't get the praise stuff either. And I, and I think that's personal um, because um, words of affirmation, words of affirmation are not my love language. Mm-hmm. Um, acts of service, my love language. So my publisher Hay House yesterday, this was so touching to me. They said, um, congratulations, you know, book um, a publication day. We have named a grove of trees in Scotland, um, you know, for you. And it was like, and they sent the link and then it's like the Duffield Thomas Grove. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's so meaningful to me. And it like, you know, that was really meaningful. Whereas if someone, um, yeah, the praise stuff, it it doesn't hit me in that same way. I love when people... Because sometimes people go, oh, can I um, get your address and send you a card or something like that? And the truth is I actually don't even read those cards. And sorry for anyone who has sent me a card. It's Mm. just it's not my love language, but also it actually makes me uncomfortable. Mm. And I don't know if that's just a block that I need to work on. But And I think it is. I think there's a little nugget there of going, if you acknowledge it, it will all go away. Or if you think you're too good for your boot, like, you know, too big for your boots and believe your hype, then something bad will happen. So I I own that. There's some mm-hmm. stuff there. Mm-hmm. But there's also something there about, like, I just want to have kind of a neutral feeling 
Mm. You know, it's not good or it's not bad. I don't want to go through that roller coaster of they love me, they hate me, they love me, they hate me. Mm. And so that's why I kind of try and keep myself in the middle. And sometimes I do take that on, you know, people say, oh, you're so inspiring or it changed my life. And I kind of let it in a little bit. I go, oh, I go, but it's not me. And and also the truth is, Susie, I do my business because it pleases me. Mm. Really. I create everything because it pleases me. And I'm passionate about helping other people, but I get so much out of it. Mm -hmm. Financially, professionally. And so I feel like it's a, a neutral closed loop, you know? Yes. Like I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I don't feel like if someone buys my book now, I don't feel like I owe them and I don't feel like they owe me. Mm. You know, they bought a book but they got value out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they bought a book from me and I got I got money out of it. You know, and so I think it's it's a closed loop. I think sometimes it's hard when we think there's all these open loops of going, well now I need to give even more to them because they did this thing. It's like, oh. and even on the flip side I've seen people go you know, be grateful to people who got you where you are. You know, you know when people kind of get that tall poppy mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. they go, "Oh, look at she's think she's too good now." She and I think, no, 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 you got value out of out of that. You don't know her; she doesn't know you. Mm-hmm. That's a complete that's a complete loop now. So, um, yeah, I but I really don't go and <laughs> read those reviews. <laughs> But yeah, the step, like, the, I think this is where we find our steadiness, right? Because I learned this not long ago and I love it, that the word fan comes from the origin root word fanatic. And I've seen mm. this happen too. It's like people love you and then it, it can also flip. And then if that's where you get your steadiness, you're like, you're in like a bit of trouble, you know, because you can't like th- things change, people change. And I find that, you know, when I, when I read a long time ago that you're like, you know, I, I also don't get my assistant to forward me the Denise, you changed my life. <laughs> you're like that's cool like but that's also kind of not your business the same way with the like with the flip side and don't you find too that I mean you've been sharing recent like well, two things here um recently you've been feeling so creative you're doing like you're creating a lot you're out there you're you know putting a lot of content together I find that when I'm in my steadiness I can be creative even not when I'm hyped up and not when I'm feeling like I'm just down for whatever reason like do you find that that also just fuels you to be you um, yeah, I do. And like, I'm not going to lie, um, you know, about two or two, three years ago, well, the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I had like a full on like breakdown. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it started because when, when the pandemic started and I saw so many people panicking, you know, really feeling stressed about it, I was like, everything's fine. Everything's fine, guys. Everything's going to be okay. And I was like the flight attendant. You know, and I'm sure that some of the times those flight attendants feel like mm. something bad's going to happen, but they're not allowed to show it and show panic. <laughs> so I was just like, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And um, and then I wasn't traveling, I wasn't getting any of my juice, I guess. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like so many of us, you know, I re- I didn't realize how much I relied on that to fuel me. Of mm-hmm. you know, and I'm an introvert, but you know, just a couple of times a year going to a conference or, you know, I was stuck in a house with my kids 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out I had ADHD. So that, you know, that, that, um, opened up a lot of doors, mm-hmm. but I literally got to a stage. I couldn't even leave the house to go for a walk. And I wasn't like, I couldn't, I couldn't shower. I couldn't wash my hair. And I was just like, what is going on? And, but I still, because I'd 
you know, batch so many things in my business, probably people didn't even really know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. No. And um, I went on antidepressants for the first time in my life because I had all this anxiety. And I know I'm, you know, I'm so incredibly privileged. I had, mm-hmm. you know, money in the bank and I had all this stuff. Yeah. But it was a real feeling of just going, um, in, oh, perimenopause kicked mm-hmm. in. All these things happened. And I was like, wow, I've got so much more compassion now for, um, you know, people trying to do their business with kids around all the time and no help and perimenopause and ADHD and all of these things. It gave me a new appreciation for it. But I had to have so much compassion for myself because mm. I realized I was almost like, well, you're, you're not allowed to complain. You've got money, mm. you know. And I remember there was someone um, who, like, she sent me a message and because I said something about, like, I'm, I can't, you know, deal with this thing. I've got anxiety at the moment. And she was like, how fucking dare you? say that you have anxiety and use it as an excuse because you're so privileged. And I remember like, she just said it to me personally and I really internalized that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to be human. Yeah. It was a really big thing for me to go. I'm not allowed to complain. I'm not allowed to have anxiety. I'm not, you know, I'm not a human being in that way. And, um, and it's tricky, right? Because we've got to acknowledge our privilege, but there's something there about, you know, it's mm-hmm. you're a human as well. And so I see sometimes people feel like they have to share everything on social media, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes with things like that, I have had to ask myself, you know, um, what's useful for me to share mm-hmm. for other people? Mm-hmm. And what am I allowed to just keep for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, because we live in an age of everything's content. Mm. you know everything's for everyone and um yeah I think that's really that's a hard place to be in sometimes so um yeah but can I yeah can I ask how you do manage it then with the because I know get overshare vulnerable share etc etc we see we see it all I mean we all have our own opinions we take we take what we like and leave the rest you know but how do you how do you decide like, because I, I know you produce yeah. like, so much ahead of time. You give so much great advice around that when it comes to personal stuff. I mean, look, you're raising three kids. you got work with your husband. Like I do. I know that's not a walk in the park all the time. Um, yeah. How do you kind of decide like as a business owner and in this, this age of en- endless content, like what's just for you? Yeah, it's tricky. It's really tricky. Um, I made a decision uh, a couple of years ago to no longer show pictures of my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a hard decision because um, I think when I started to, you know, you kind of know everyone in your community mm-hmm. in lots of ways, mm-hmm. and then it just gets kind of bigger and bigger, and and you you realize, you know, sometimes not everyone has the best intentions, mm-hmm. but also, and I've never had anything really bad happen, thank God, but I could see it around the horizon. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I thought, you know, I, I'm getting a bigger, bigger profile. Like I may as well make this change now. And so, you know, I'll do sometimes the back of my kids' heads or something like that. But I, I just have to be care- like mindful. We all have to be mindful of stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I live in a very visible part of town. I live in a in a town where everyone knows everyone. And mm-hmm. and I noticed that when I moved here, people would go, "Oh, that's this person's house, and that's the silver chair guy's house, and this is this person's house, and this." Oh. And they would just say it to anybody. And my lawyer, this is so random. My lawyer was um, outside my house at the beach because I live at the beach, and he said he overheard two young girls saying, 
oh, that's um, that's Denise Duffield Thomas House. She's a millionaire. Just like random people. Wow. And I just thought, oh, my God, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I just started being a little bit more mindful about that. And I am an oversharer. Mm-hmm. I am. And that's part of my ADHD, which now I understand and appreciate. And so I've kind of always got rules for myself. I don't talk about my sex life. I don't talk about, I don't talk about my body. And that is, I'll just be really honest about this too. So um, since being diagnosed with ADHD and sorting that out, I've lost a bunch of weight because I think I used to eat for pleasure and dopamine. And then I have people asking me about it and it's really weird to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then because when you have a business, it's very much about like, let's face it, my brand is like, I'm your best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's if I knew every single person in my community, you know, one-to-one, I would be their best friend, but I can't be best friends with, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this really weird thing when people will just straight up like, oh my God, you've lost weight. Like, oh my God, you've lost weight. How have you done it? How have you done it? And I'm just like, oh. And another side of this too is I think we have a responsibility to not be experts in everything Mm -hmm. because our communities, you know, really take take that on and our recommendations have weight. Mm -hmm. And there's a responsibility around that. And so um, a couple of years ago I did share, I did lose weight with a weight loss program and I did share about it. And now I'm like, I mean, how do you do that I'm not an expert in in that field and so I think sometimes we have to know where our lanes are we have to keep some stuff back for ourselves but I understand mm-hmm. you know feeling like we should share anything everything I was on holidays this is really funny because I know you'll understand this I was on holidays in Tasmania with my family oh, yeah and I don't share pictures of my uh, my family family either so I was yeah. with you know my brother and his kids and I was sitting there reading a book about nothing to do with business. And a little thought of mine was, I should do a post about how nice it is to switch off on holidays. Mm. And then I caught myself going, no, no, just be present in the moment and be be here and read your book. And then I was like, well, that's a really great post about how I caught myself mm. not being present <laughs> and how good it was that then I caught myself. And then I was like, I'm doing it again. And I was like, I could do a post about how I caught myself caught catching myself Mm. and I just went I couldn't be in the moment of sitting there reading reading that book about serial killers I was reading by the way (laughs) um you know and I just think that's um I can see that happening more and more that people feel so much pressure to Mm. perform and create and share and make everything a lesson and I'm not saying that it's wrong I'm just saying I totally get it I'm right there too um, yeah. And I mean, I do batch content, so that makes it a little bit easier because then sometimes in the moment where I think I should share this, I go, but there's already a post out today. So I can either just wait and see if something else comes out from that, that's useful to people, mm-hmm. or I'll just put it kind of in my bank of things, or I'll just keep it for myself. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's you hard to do, right? You go, I, no, yeah. I, this I, would be I, great I, to Instagram. And, and that's the thing. It's, it, it's endless. And I actually think too, Denise, this is a money block. Right. Because I think sometimes we're not honest with ourselves about what really makes us money. Right. Because if you're doing stories all day, I know that you're not, but some people are. And I'm like, really, is that like, can you just enjoy your breakfast? 
Like, can you just enjoy? Um, I went to this rock climbing retreat randomly um, last year. And one of the, the uh, very, very, very uh, incredibly, in my mind, very risky climbers who does these incredible climbs all over the world said, you know, I, I don't really post from the top of the mountain because I'm at the top of the mountain. Like that's for me. And I remember going, wow, that's a mark of self-love. He could sell that photo. Like, you know, they, they, we're allowed to keep some things just for ourselves. And I think that you illustrate that so beautifully. And your book, Chill and Prosper, sounds like an oxymoron. Can you, but obviously it's not, it's so perfect. Could you just share for anyone who's like, okay, what is this new book? Like maybe they've already read your books and they've already gotten so much out of this interview. Like what is it, what will Chill and Prosper give you? Yeah. So um, first of all, I have to let people know, um, Chill and Prosper is an updated version of Chillpreneur, Yes. Um, which came out in 2019. And um, people would contact me and say, well, that's great. I love this book, but it doesn't work for my industry. Mm-hmm. I know you hear that all the time, don't you, oh, about yes. PR and stuff. People go, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work for me because I, I really care about my clients or because mm-hmm. of blah, 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 or I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hay House contacted me last year. Oh, God, this is a funny story, actually, too, because of that thing about how I fluked into Hay House. Uh-huh. But um, when they sent me the message to say, oh, Denise, we'd love to um, have a meeting with you, you know, when's a good time? I went into this, like, massive imposter syndrome spiral because I thought they were going to um, let me go as an author. I thought I was going to get into trouble because I was, um, you know, I I was doing interviews and I was saying to people, I don't really like my cover, but you know, it's fine. And I was like, oh my God, they've listened to that and I'm going to get in trouble. And um, I went through like a week of sleepless nights. And then finally I emailed them and said, hey, um, just, you know, is there anything I need to prepare for this meeting? Because I was like, please just freak it out. The band-aid off. Yeah. And, um, and they were like, oh no, no, we just want to talk about a new edition of one of your, of, of your book. And I was just like, oh my God. So um, we had a meeting and, and they were just like, yeah, we just, we'd love to do a new edition already. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. So I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I really want to do a different cover this time. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you know what? We didn't really love the name last time. Mm -hmm. And um, this is on the thing of let it be easy, right? Mm -hmm. You and I both know people who have had to change their business names because Entrepreneur Magazine owns Mm -hmm. the word entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and they own all of the preneurs. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't use Chillpreneur in anything, I can use it as a book, but I couldn't use it on my podcast. I couldn't use it as a program. I couldn't use it any in any other context. Mm-hmm. And so I called my podcast Chill and Prosper. And so I just went, this is a really good opportunity to create ease mm-hmm. in this and just eliminate that problem because I was always worried. I was always thinking, I'm going to get sued or something. Mm-hmm. And so I just went, oh, this is a really good opportunity. And then I went, I'm just going to change a few things in the book. And then I ended up like rewriting the whole freaking book. <laughs> Um, one, because I wanted to put in more examples of even after I handed in the book, I learned so many things about how I was making things harder for myself. Um, you know, so many lessons there, but then having case studies in there about who, you know, how you can make things easier. And so being a chillpreneur is not about like working in a hammock and like doing no work. Mm-hmm. It's about really understanding, um, yourself how you want to show up, what kind of business you want to create and finding the path of ease for you because everyone is different. 
And when we follow a cookie cutter business approach, when we try and copy someone else's business model and it doesn't work for us, we can really internalize that. Mm-hmm. And the truth is you can, I mean, you can, you can do whatever you want. And let me give you an example from the book about how this totally illustrates it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an astrology session with someone called Mystic Medusa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I was thinking, oh, I, you know, on the day I was like, oh, I wonder how we're connecting. Is it, you know, Zoom? Is it Skype? Or is it audio? And it was Skype chat. Mm. And I went, oh, my God, how is this even going to work? Like never see a face, never see a voice, hear a voice, anything. And um, it actually was amazing because I'm a fast typer. I'm an introvert. So we were both just like, like really connecting heart to heart all over chat. And when I got off that one, I went, oh my God, that was an amazing astrology session. But the deeper lesson for me is I went, I wonder if, I'm assuming she's even more because I don't even know. Um, I wonder if she went through a phase of going, nobody will pay for it like this. Mm-hmm. Because I hear so many people go, no, but I have to do my sessions face-to-face. No, I have to do social media like this. No, I have to show up like this. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a good lesson in that you can do anything any way you want as long as you're honest about it and you'll find those perfect matches mm. and there are no excuses. You can, oh, my God, there's so many billion people in the world. You only need a tiny, tiny fraction of those people and there will be people who prefer it the way that you prefer it. So there's no such thing as the customer's always right because if you build your business like that, there's no longevity in that because at some point you get burnt out, you get resentful, you know, it doesn't work. So it has to work for you first. And that feels so selfish sometimes to go, but nobody, nobody will pay for it like this. But it's like, but if you're going to quit your business anyway, because you're so burnt out, may as well be audacious in how you set it up. And then, then you can let it be easy. You know, same path <laughs> that you talk about. It's like, mm-hmm. it's allowed to be easy, but there's so much unlearning around that. I'm going, no, but this is how everyone else does it. Or no one will pay for that. Or there's not enough value to do it like that. Um, I've even heard people who say, I get, you know, I started to get results so much quicker for my audience that they, you know, they didn't need four sessions. They needed one session. So I should, shouldn't charge for it as much. And it's like, no, no, no. I value speed and efficiency. I would pay four times to do it quicker because I don't want to drag it out. Mm, it's I I I love Mystic Medusa doing things over chat good for her or him whoever it may be um because you don't know (laughs) but uh I remember Amy Porterfield said this to me once when she was stressing about creating something and wanting to change it but going oh that's not what people expect from me or something like that her husband said to her well you should really check with the boss on that (laughs) you should like <laughs> you take it up to the boss, and it's like oh, I remember because I have this structure with my podcast. I have interviews once a week, and then I do these daily episodes, five to seven minutes. One, I was like, you know, I want to do like a twenty minute on a bit of a meteor subject, but that's not how I. That's not the structure that. And I'm like, well, who am I? Who should I check with, Denise? <laughs> like, check with the boss. <laughs> I just want to share one more example. Yes, I love time. them. I've yes, got- I do. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I did my book tour, that I saw you on in America. Yeah. That was actually a very stressful book tour for me. Um, it was only four cities, but I totally overcomplicated it. Mm-hmm. One, I actually was supposed to go to Necker Island, but mm-hmm. I felt guilty about being away from my family. So I was like, oh, well, why don't 
you know, why doesn't the family come? And, you know, we can go to Miami and you guys can stay here while I go and do my thing. Mm -hmm. And then Mark was like, well, you know, we have to fly through LA. So you may as well do an event in LA. And then it was like, well, then we may as well do one, you know, in blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, well, we can't go and not do New York. So let's do New York. And so we ended up doing four cities, but it was so overcomplicated because I had like two kids with me I had um we were trying to find really cool venues but then the venues were like oh but we don't have AV so you have to bring in your own AV and then like who's going to set up the chairs and it just became so complicated and I was exhausted and I actually found out I was pregnant on that tour as well Mm. um literally from the New York event I got in the cab I had such a great time at the New York event I got in the cab and I yeah it was so much fun we got in the cab and I almost threw up in the cab And I went, I must have like, you know, I think this is an introvert hangover. I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I just slept all day. And again, I thought it was an introvert hangover. I I woke up and I said to Mark, I think we should have Chinese for dinner. And he goes, I was thinking Indian. And I went, Chinese. And he went, are you pregnant? And I went, I totally am pregnant. But anyway, so it was incredibly stressful. So then um, my publisher was like, oh, are you going to do a book tour in Australia for um chillpreneur and I was just like (laughs) I don't think I can handle it um but then I thought how can I do this the chillpreneur way and um what happened Nigella Lawson came to my town you know you know Nigella and she was doing she wasn't even promoting a new book she was promoting the 20th anniversary of her book how to eat Mm -hmm. and she just sat there on a couch and just answered a couple of questions and talked and I was like oh man I totally overcomplicated my book tour I had slides and I had a whole talk and I felt like it had to be this whole big thing and so it planted this seed for me of going how can I make this the most easy chill book tour that has ever existed Mm -hmm. so what I did was um I talked to a lady I know who's the marketing manager of event cinemas Mm -hmm. um in Australia and I said to her can I hire a cinema out to do my event and she was like yeah people do that all the time so she it took months and months to organize the u.s book tour it took one day to organize a 14 city book tour 14 cities because event cinemas are all around the country they all have parking they all have seats they all have av Mm -hmm. they all have snacks they all have accessibility, all of those things that took us months to go, where's the best spot to do it? You know, where's this? What's the parking situation like? Um, and so she, and and also cinemas, most of them had four to 12 screens. So they don't care any dates available for them. They just move things around. But also they have small screens if I didn't sell heaps of tickets, but at a moment's notice, they could just move me to a bigger screen. No big deal. And um, so what I did was then I just traveled by myself. I did two cities um, a week. So I would just fly to one, stay overnight, do the event. But also I did it for me. I went, I don't want to do it on the weekends because I that's my family time. So I did it during the week. And part of me was like, who's going to come to an I did it over lunch because I, I don't like doing late nights because I then don't sleep. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to do it in a way that works for me and see who, who turns up. Um, I didn't want to sell my own books there. So Hay House helped me find a, um, a book chain mm. that was in all of those cities. 
Wow. So they brought a table, they bought the books, they did the payment system. So I didn't make the money from it, but I didn't have to do anything for it. So they just set up at the back of the cinema. And I mean, some cinemas were a bit weird where I was like literally kind of standing in the aisle. Like, <laughs> going, hey guys. Who cares? I felt like, yeah, but it felt like um, old school Oprah. You know how Oprah oh, used to have yeah. a show and she'd walk in the, in the aisles and be like, hey, you know, what's your question? Let me answer the question. And so I, it was just the most chill, easy mm. way of maximizing the results. I did, you know, four times as many cities with like a quarter of the work. And, um, and so that's what chill and prosper really is about is like, what, how can you find those things to make that easier, but also to maximize your results and, and kind of just be audacious in going, mm, what if it, is it allowed to be this easy? Um, yeah. So that was really fun to do. And that was, I can put that into the book afterwards because it happened after I time. <laughs> oh, can I just, sorry, before I forget, um, yes. there's some really cool bonuses as well. Cause of course. I over-delivered on the bonuses. Um, I meant to record um, just one album of meditations Mm -hmm. because I want as a bonus. So it's like things like um, overcoming your fear of marketing and breaking through six and then seven figure income. I ended up doing 25 tracks for it. Overachiever. And people can get those bonuses if they go to denisedt.com slash prosper. So Mm. denisedt.com slash prosper. Um, you can buy the book from anywhere, put in your details and you can get those bonuses. And then you can just listen to those audios while you're working. You don't even need to sit and do your money mindset work. You can just layer love, it in. I love your meditations. I listened to a future you one a, a little while ago and I was like, yes, Denise. And I had an, an immediate inspired idea too, which I acted on I and, love it worked, that one. and it worked out. So Denise truly like the real deal here. DeniseDT.com uh, <laughs> forward slash prosper to get all prosper. the goodies for the book so many will of course link to it also um just two more quick questions before i let you go denise yeah so all the talk of money blogs you being the 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 lady we all go to i, I also love your facebook group wow like oh my gosh there's so 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 much to learn here like from you um what's one money block that you still have that you're or the one that you're working on right now oh that i'm working on right now yeah i actually had a very uncharacteristic um like anxiety this week around money actually because um I just bought a bank I just I bought a bank that. yeah mm. in your group in your Facebook group mm-hmm. yes and so it's um this amazing property that used to be a bank a long time ago now it's um a residence and like a shop front and so I'm renovating it with um Mark and one of my um, business partners, my mm-hmm. beautiful friend Naomi Finlay, who's an interior designer. Um, and so I think every time I do something like that, I get a little bit discombobulated. Mm-hmm. And what happens is I start to go, what could I sell if if it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. And so, and it's that feeling of like, I have to sacrifice, I have to give up. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there's a little bit of like discombobulation for a little bit. And then I, then I always realize, oh, I can have both. Like I can I don't have to sacrifice my house to be able to do these things. I don't have to do the, you know, I was thinking, oh, I have to sell my mint green Chevy that I bought, you know, at the farm. I'm like, that's so irresponsible. I should sell that. Um, So, you know what? It's the same stuff as when I started my business. It's always just like, I'm not allowed to have it all. Mm. And I have to sacrifice something for it. Mm. And I tell you what, whatever your money block is, it will just keep, doesn't matter how much money, it will still come up again and again in little ways. So then the way I always um, deal with that is I always go, 
there's always more money. There's always more money. There's always more money. And I love your funny story too about how you're driving along and then a wad of money hit your windscreen. I mean, this is a must read. (laughs) And it's true. Yeah, Yeah, it's what happened. I was, um, I just bought this plot of land, you know, most at the time, most expensive plot of land in, in our town. And I manifested it, you know, I, I did a big launch for it, but I was freaking out. And the same thing I said to Mark, oh man, we're going to have to tighten our belts, you know? And he was just like going, that doesn't sound like you. We were driving to go get the keys. And I said, you're right. There's always more money. And that's when a shower of money hit our car, like <laughs> literally hit our car. This and is it was, it was divine. And I mean, <laughs> our, um, it was $50 notes, which in Australia, they're yellow, they're bright yellow like this. Mm. And our windscreen wipers came on and it, I mean, to this day, I have no idea what happened. I, I mean, God, someone in a happened. car must have. Well, I don't know. I'm like, logically, I'm like going, was someone like going to buy, you know, a car or something? They had a couple of thousand dollars and it flew out the window or something <laughs> happened. But all I know is this money hit our car. And But at that exact moment that I said, there's always more money. And you know what? I do that all the time. But sometimes I'm like, there's always more money. There's always, there's always more money. I'm waiting. Um, I bring do it again but it's that feeling of for, for me the shortcut of that is um go help someone there's always someone who needs your help and for me I have an avenue to help them I've got my money boot camp and so I always remind myself you know all roads lead to money boot camp sell more boot camps help more people um there's always someone who needs you and there's always more money but I started doing that I I couldn't start that with money the way I started doing that is there's always one more hairband there is one right there. You know, when you feel that scarcity and you go, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Yeah, yeah, it's the last one. So I started practicing it with hairbands because there's always one more Kirby grip, bobby Mm -hmm. pin. Mm -hmm. There's always one more hairband at the bottom of your bag. There's and then I then I started doing it with coins. I'd be like, there's always one more penny. There's always one more like five cent piece. And I would look for it and I inevitably I'd go, oh, here it is. It's at the bottom of my bag. And then I just got bigger and bigger with it. And I'd just be like, well, there's always more, you know, there's always more properties. There's always more millions. There's always more and more. But it starts with small. There's there's abundance. There's abundance mm-hmm. in the world. Okay, final question, Denise, on the Let It Be Easy podcast, because truly I can keep you all night. So um, good luck in letting you off. Uh, what's one thing you do in your life consistently that allows it to be easier? Oh, a good question um not everything is my job that's that's the thing not everyone not everything is my job and so again I started that in small ways of going maybe I can get help at home mm-hmm. you know and so I do have a ton of help at home now I don't do any cooking I don't do cleaning I don't do laundry but it started with that thing of like oh not everything's my job to fix and now it's a bit bigger of going um I don't have to solve every problem for everyone in the world um you know as we're saying about the content strategy I don't have to solve that problem for people and so I think that's just a really it's a big reminder for me as the eldest child of a young single mom you know I know you relate on that we feel like Mm -hmm. everything's our job to fix Mm -hmm. we feel responsible for the world and so it's just sometimes that feeling of I think I have to say that to myself almost every day of going yeah not everything's my job to fix um yeah yeah. (gasps) Chill and prosper, Janice Duffield Thomas. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Ever books are sold. Uh, Janice Duff, JaniceDT.com forward slash 
prosper. Thank you, Susie, my friend. You are such a generous person. I appreciate you so much. And, you know, um, you know, Susie has helped me so much, even for the promotion of this book, introducing me to people. You guys know how generous and lovely Susie is. So I appreciate you so much, my friend. Um, And I hope we get to see each other in person at some point in the future again. But if not, online friendships, we're so lucky that we can Yes, and have it, and we're together in the five D. That's right. <laughs> this is true. This is very, very true. Well, all the very you. best for your book, Denise. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thanks, Anne. If you like this episode, you'll love my free workshop called Become Your Own Life Coach. Head on over to becomeyourownlifecoach.com now, and I'll teach you how to coach yourself through any of life's problems. I'll see you there.